Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. Hello, welcome to the Defender Bible Study Podcast. Today is Monday, March 20th, 2023. My name is Chris Johnson. I serve as the Vice President of Church Partnerships and Government Affairs at Lifeline Children's Services. Today, we're continuing our look at the book Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Uh, if you recall from the last time we were together, we were finished, we wrapped up uh, book number three, the third part of Mere Christianity. We were looking at the topic of Christian behavior as C.S. Lewis was sharing for us uh, really just various realities around how we're called to live as Christ followers, uh, what things ought to be evident in our life, what should be our perspective on certain uh, issues, societal issues, and other things that we that we looked at. And so today we're, we're starting our journey uh, through the last part of Mere Christianity. We're looking at the last book. This is book number four. It's entitled Beyond Personality or First Steps in the Doctrine of the Trinity. And so today we're going to look at the first three chapters in this book, number four, and uh, and just kind of see again, kind of as Lewis is going to take us now, we, we kind of talked about some practical things, but now we're going to kind of go into some deeper issues and really kind of digging deeper into um, our understanding of, of who God is uh, and how that affects our lives and, and lives out in our, is shown as we live out our lives as Christ followers, as Christians. As he starts this new book, Book, he kind of lays out this foundation for us, and, and he really stresses the importance of theology. Uh, and he defines theology as the science of God. Um, and so he's going to kind of lay this, this foundational base of understanding what theology is and, and how to have the right perspective on that. And then out of that, he's going to start talking about some of these deeper doctrinal issues or deeper theology issues to kind of, again, uh, help us lay the, this firm foundation. Um, one of the things that Lewis talked about here in, in this in this section is the reality that much of the Christian life, much of Christianity is experiential. Uh, it's based on, on things we experience, how we feel, or how our faith is expressed in and through us. Um, and, and oftentimes we tend to put great value in what we sense as real uh, based on our feelings and our emotions, what we can see and what we can experience. And, and this certainly is a valid reality. Our emotions are, are true and real. The experiential part of our faith is important. Uh, it's not to be diminished. However, if this is all that we cling to, then we're truly missing out really on the bigger picture of who God is uh, and really what it means to be a Christian. And so our experiences are real. They're felt deeply by us. But we also must recognize those parts of biblical Christianity that, that seem less real to us experientially, but are very much real in the fact that our, that our faith is grounded in these things. These are, these are the deeper parts of theology uh, that really grow our understanding of who God is, uh, that help us see how he is at work in the world around us, as well as in our lives. And, and so Lewis is wanting us to see that, that it's important to recognize the, the, the emotions the feelings, the experience part of things, uh, but also the need to really go deeper in our understanding of who God is 
and some of the the deeper things, deeper parts of theology. It's kind of reminds me of even where when Jesus said to the woman at the well in John chapter four that as we worship God who is a spirit, we must worship Him both in spirit and in truth. And so we're going to talk a little bit about this balance of the experience, emotional, and feeling part, as well as uh, balancing that with being grounded in biblical truth. Um, Lewis kind of gives us this illustration. He's great at painting these pictures for us uh, in these various analogies, but he gives the illustration of a man who is visiting a beach. Uh, and this, this man is enjoying the experience of that. He's, he's loving walking on the sand, feeling the sand between his toes. He's watching the powerful waves roll in. He's really just reflecting on the beauty that is the ocean. And so as he stands there on the seashore, looking out over the ocean and seeing God's great creation, he's, he, he's just overwhelmed with, with a sense of awe and reverence and, and really just kind of, again, just has these emotional feelings and this just great experience basking in the beauty of who God is. And he compares this wonderful, real experience, feeling, touching, seeing, hearing, smelling, all the different pieces of that. He compares this wonderful, real experience of gazing at the beach from the shore to the less real experience of looking at a map of the oceans. Uh, on the beach, the waves and sand are real, but but maps are just colors and charts on paper, uh, something far less real. However, the reality is that to get those maps, others have experienced actually being out on the ocean. They've traveled the, uh, to other lands. They've moved along the currents and the paths of the sea. And so they have all this collective experience that others have experienced that they bring together uh, to form the map that can really ultimately open up even greater experiences and greater understanding of the oceans for that man who is on the beach. Now, if this man standing on the beach just sticks to his own personal experience and what he feels and what he smells and sees and senses, then he really misses out on so much beauty and joy. If he instead would lean into what he can learn from this map, what he can learn from others who have experienced and brought their collective experience and and and, and brought their understanding and things together, if he can learn from that, then he's going to understand that there is so much more adventure to be enjoyed. He will see that that these oceans are, are can, can lead to other lands and and open up new horizons. So if he wants to move beyond just the experience of the shore that he knows then he's going to absolutely need to use the map. He's going to need to have a greater understanding of the bigger picture to help him really experience what is intended and really what all can be experienced in, in understanding the seas and the oceans. And so Lewis states that theology, the science of God, that it's like that map. True biblical Christianity, it provides great experiences for Christ followers. We we enjoy the, the time with the Lord and times of worship and, and seeing things that we experience, that we feel. But if we just try to go from experience to experience, then we miss the bigger picture of what God is doing in us. We miss the bigger picture of what he's wanting to accomplish in us. And, and we miss out on even greater experiences that he has for us. You see, our faith walk then becomes like a roller coaster that's strictly based on our emotions and our feelings. And those emotions and feelings, they come and go. And so if that's all that we're basing our faith walk on. Um, no wonder we would give up and no wonder we would walk away because the emotions aren't always there. The feelings, they're going to 
come and go. The experiential part of Christianity, it must be balanced by, and, and I'd go even a step further to say that it must be rooted in a biblical understanding of doctrine and theology. We should absolutely celebrate the mountaintop experiences that come in our lives. But those times are not going to sustain us alone. The Christian walk most often is accomplished on the ordinary days when the emotions aren't running high, even in the difficult seasons and the, and the harsh realities of life in this world. Those are the times when our Christian walk is really shaped and our Christian walk is really formed and, and our growth and our understanding of God is accomplished. It's on those days when our emotions are not there. We cannot turn from our faith. We can't run away from our faith just because we don't feel the emotional part of that. So what holds us firm on those days and what holds us firm when there is no experience is the knowledge and understanding of who God is and how God works. Lewis talks about the fact that there are people that have that have gone ahead and have studied deep and studied the things of God. And then, of course, even greater, we have the Word of God that provides this deep sense of, of, of knowledge to help us understand who God is, to help us understand God's character. And so it's so important that in order to become and remain a faithful follower of Christ, we must be grounded in good theology. We must grow in our understanding of God and the, and the things of God. And this is why it is so important that we study God's word, that we learn all we can about his character and about his nature. As we're going to look in, in just a few minutes, some of the topics that Lewis discusses, we can't figure them out with our finite minds. We can't fully grasp who God is and what God's doing. But there are certain things that God very clearly in his word reveals to us about his character and his nature. And the more that we learn about God, the more we, we grow in our understanding of who he is, the more grounded our faith becomes and the more uh, sustainable it is for us to walk on the good days and the bad days, because we're not just based on our emotions and what we feel. We're basing our life on the things that God reveals about himself in his word, our understanding of his character, our understanding of his nature. So with this foundation, after after laying this foundation for us and, and kind of issuing this charge to, to see both the experiential part of Christianity but also to go deeper in our understanding of theology and the things of God. Lewis then begins to discuss some different issues, and he addresses three different issues in these first three chapters. He takes part of chapter one to deal with one, and then, and then all of chapter two and all of chapter three to deal with a couple other issues. So because our time is short today, there's no way uh, that we can fully address these topics that are mentioned by Lewis. So I encourage you to, to read through these chapters uh, as part of mere Christianity, but then also to, to take some time with each of these chapters and, and dig deeper into what is being expressed and these, these truths, these foundational truths that are being shared, um, learn more about them. It's important that we study these things. And so today our time is, is really just to kind of whet our appetite. Uh, I'm not going to try to go deep in these issues. I'm not going to try to explain uh, these issues in great detail, but I really just want to be able to point them out to you again as we're seeing how, uh, how Lewis mentioned these things so that it would provide kind of the springboard for us to do deeper studies on our own, uh, again, just to help root and ground us uh, in who, who God is, his character, and his nature. So the first topic that Lewis discusses, he discusses uh, in, in chapter one here, what it means for us to become sons of God. Uh, the Bible tells us, John chapter one, verses 12 and 13. 
But to all who did receive him, received Christ, uh, who believed in Jesus' name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We're, we're told here that when we accept the gift of salvation by faith through Jesus Christ, then we become sons of God. And there, this, this topic and this understanding of, of us being sons of God is mentioned in many places throughout the New Testament. And so does that mean if we're saying that we become sons of God and Jesus is the son of God, that if we come to faith in Christ, then we're just like, just like God the son. We're just like Jesus. We hold the same Godship. We become gods. There's some that would say that. And that's not at all what, what the word of God is teaching us. We do not become gods in the sense that God the Son, that Jesus is the Son of God. There are, are belief systems that are based on this thing that, that, we, that we somehow are attaining Godship and, and equality in that sense. Um, that's not at all what God is saying. He's not saying that we become gods in the same sense that the Son, Jesus Christ, is God. But what he is saying is that at the new birth, we are made into a new creation that receives the benefits and blessings of sonship with God the Father. So, so so we know that God, the son, Jesus, he has always existed as God together with the father and the Holy Spirit. They have always eternally existed as one. We have not always eternally existed. So we do not become God, but we are made into a new creation. And a part of the benefits and blessings of this new creation that we become and this new relationship that we enter into with the father is that we get the blessings and benefits of sonship. We are treated uh, as firstborn sons in God's family, in God's economy. We have the spirit of adoption that is given to us that gives us the rights and, and the benefits and the, the blessings that come from being joint heirs with Jesus Christ, being heirs uh, of this beautiful gift and these beautiful promises from the Father. So, so we discuss, we, we need to understand what it means to become sons of God. The next thing in chapter uh, two that Lewis discusses is he discusses the doctrine of the Trinity. Now, again, with our finite minds, there is no way that we can ever fully comprehend the realities of God's nature as the Trinity. So oftentimes we hear people that, that try to give illustrations and they use physical illustrations and temporal illustrations. But the reality is that there are no illustrations that can fully adequately describe the Trinity and the nature of God in the, uh, as a triune God. Uh, all of earthly illustrations, all the things that we could dream up, they all fall short. Well, there's nothing in this world that can fully explain the realities of God's nature as the triune God. Uh, as we kind of think through what does this mean, uh, one definition that has been given of the doctrine of the Trinity is that God is absolutely and eternally one essence subsisting in three distinct and ordered persons without division and without replication of the essence. Let me repeat that. I know there's a lot of uh, kind of big words and deep thinking there, but let me repeat that. The, the doctrine of the Trinity is that God is absolutely and eternally one essence. So he is one God, absolutely and eternally one essence. But that one essence is subsisting in three distinct and ordered persons. So there's three distinct and ordered persons that make up this one essence. And those three distinct and ordered persons exist without division. 
There's never a time that they cease to come from being together and, and have their own identity apart from one another. They, they exist without division and without replication of the essence. So they don't, they don't do their own thing. They don't, uh, they don't pull apart and one be God separate from the other being God and from the other being God. They, they have different roles. They have different responsibilities. There again, they have this distinct ordered persons, but they exist without division and without replication of the essence. So again, we can't figure that out. And if, and if God could be figured, if we could figure out God, he would cease to be God. So we can't fully in our minds comprehend and fully articulate and understand this reality, but we see it so clearly in scripture. He is one God existing in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all at the same time and in distinct roles. Uh, a few verses of scripture that kind of points me this out. First of all, the fact that there is one God. We, these aren't three different gods that, that we're worshiping. We're worshiping one God. Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Of course, the children of Israel, they saw around them these nations that worshiped multiple gods. And God was very clear to them to say that there is one God, there is one Lord, uh, and he is worthy of worship. But then we see this this one God, this one Lord being displayed in, in three different personalities in three different, uh, different ways. And Matthew chapter three, verses 16 and 17 is one of those passages where we clearly see all three parts of the Trinity that are functioning independently, but at the same time as one essence. Uh, it says there, when Jesus, the son, when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God or the Holy Spirit descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son. So the father says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. One way that it's been articulated is to understand and know the father is God. The son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. But the father is not the son. The father is not the Holy Spirit. And the Son is not the Holy Spirit. Again, the Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. The Father is not the Son. The Father is not the Holy Spirit. And the Son is not the Holy Spirit. So, so we, he, Lewis discusses in chapter one, uh, what it means for us to become sons of God. Chapter two, the doctrine of the Trinity. And then in chapter three, Lewis discusses the reality that God exists outside of our understanding of time. Again, we live under the constraints of time. Our minds can't fathom anything otherwise. Um, you know, we're just, just experienced just last week. We turned our clocks. We lost an hour. We moved, we sprang forward our clocks. We moved forward an hour. Our, our bodies can't even handle that. I've had conversations with multiple people this week just talking about, man, losing that hour has just hit me hard and getting my body on the right clock on the right time. We, we just cannot think and comprehend fathoming out, uh, 
a life outside of, of the constraints of time. Um, I remember even as a kid and, and still today, if I stop and try to think with my mind and try to understand the fact that that God has always existed, that he never had a beginning. There's never been a time when he did not exist and there never will be a time that he will not exist. When I think about the fact that we have as sons of God, one of the benefits, we have eternal life. If I try to get my mind to go there, I cannot fathom eternal life. Um, you know, we think of 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years lived here on this earth as just seeming such, like such a long time. There's no way that we can just multiply that out and continue to even fathom and think about the reality of living into eternity, living forever. But for God, he has always existed. He always will exist. And he always exists in the present. <laughs> think about that. It's always present with him. He lives outside of our understanding. He operates on a totally different timetable than we can even fathom. But you know what? His timing is always perfect. Uh, one of the verses that kind of speak to this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, Peter says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Now, now, this is a verse that's often been kind of misunderstood and, and even used to kind of promote certain ways of thinking and certain uh, thought processes and those kind of pieces. But ultimately what Peter's saying here is, hey, we can't even, God doesn't even deal with our timetables. He's not even, he's nowhere near on the same schedule that we're on of trying to figure things out and trying to make things happen and trying to understand when things are going to happen. Uh, for him, time is, is it's something that, that, uh, that he is, is completely, uh, he, he can, he can enter it and, and leave it however he wants, whenever he wants. He can, he can be at a moment at any time. And so again, just that understanding that it's always, always present. It's always now with him. Um, you know, that, that's how we begin to, to start thinking through and understanding things such as the fact that he has chosen us before the foundation of the world, the fact that, that our salvation is secure in him because, because he's not thinking on the same time levels and time frames as we are. Now, again, these subjects that we've talked about today, there's no way in, in just a, a short time here on a, on a, on a podcast and a Bible study that we can fully grasp these things, that we can fully understand these things. Um, and so they're all worthy of, of deeper study, deeper understanding. However, I do think there is a passage of scripture that, that I think clearly kind of talk, kind of addresses all three uh, of each of these realities. They're kind of played out in a, in a practical sense. And that passage of scripture is Ephesians chapter one, verses three through 14. Um, one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. I love the book of Ephesians. Uh, I've had the opportunity to preach the book of Ephesians. It's, it's one of my favorite books. But in, in chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, Paul is just, just pouring out the ESV labels that is the spiritual blessings in Christ. And it is such a rich passage of Scripture. And I want to I read it. If you've got a, a Bible or a device with you, I encourage you to, to follow along and look at this as well. But I want to read this, this passage. And as I, as I read this passage, I want you to think through uh, the different things that are mentioned here, the different things that are, that are shown here. Um, I want you to see that, that Paul addresses this idea uh, of us being adopted, the reality and the meaning of us being adopted as sons of God and, and what that looks like. Uh, he's going to talk about the, the roles of the three parts of the triune God and the role that each of the, the, the components of the Godhead 
Godhead, the role that they play in our salvation, in our in our coming to to faith in Christ, and in the reality of us uh, entering into a relationship with God through Christ. Uh, and then also we we're going to see here how this process of salvation is really been it's in place outside of time where it began before the foundation of the world. God shows us before the foundation of the world, and and it's to be fully realized at the return of Christ and eventually into all eternity. So as I read this passage, I want you to listen for those three different things and those three different issues that we address. Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. There it is. There's that time thing that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us, here it is, for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So all of that was was, was the role of the Father. It's the Father who chose us in Him. It's the Father uh, who set us apart. It's the Father who predestined us and 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 called us into this adoption as sons. It's the Father uh, who designed this according to His will. It's the Father uh, who has blessed us in the Beloved. And then we're going to see how this is all accomplished through Jesus Christ. He mentions that um, in verse number five, but, but we're going to see now how that plays out. Verse Beginning of verse seven, it says, in him, we have redemption through his blood. In who? It's in the son. In, in the son, through the shedding of the blood, the son shedding his blood provides redemption for us. We are bought off the, the slave market to never be sold again. We are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. In him, we have redemption through his blood. He also provides the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. Here we go. Here's that time thing again. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory, the Father's glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you believed in him, and here is the Holy Spirit's work, and you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who hold the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So you see all these different pieces, the complexity of the character and nature of God and how he works in us and calls us as, as sons, as part of his family, uh, how he works outside of time. It's before the foundation of the world and it's going to be uh, acquired. This possession of it's going to be acquired in the future and continuing into eternity. And then seeing the different roles, we see the father, how the father chose us. The father adopted us and gave us this right of sonship. The father accepted 
accepts us in the beloved. We see the role of the son, how he provides for our redemption, how he provided for our forgiveness. He revealed God's will to us and, and ultimately provided for us inheritance. And then we see that the Holy Spirit has sealed us. He's the one that keeps us secure in our relationship with the father. And he is the earnest or the down payment, um, the idea of an engagement ring. That's a, it's a promise to, to be fulfilled, uh, that, that he will not go back on. He, the Holy Spirit is the, the earnest of our inheritance as sons of God. And so I love just this, this passage that really just kind of lays out this beautiful picture of who God is and how uh, he has, is doing this work in us. And so as we understand the character of God and the nature of God, it opens up this richness of really being able to relish in and flourish uh, in this, this life, that this call that God has on our lives. So I want to end our time today with, with really just a couple of practical admonitions for us, for us all. First of all, I want to encourage us. Let's celebrate. Let's enjoy the experiential part of the Christian life. Let's, let's don't diminish it. Let's don't push it aside. Let's celebrate and enjoy what God does in us. Let's recognize the, the practical and visible admonitions of scripture and the calls to walk in the ways of God's word. And, and when we do that, we're going to experience his blessings and his goodness. But then second, let's not neglect to spend time, to spend energy studying these more complex parts of biblical Christianity. Let's dig in and let's learn about the nature and the character of God. And in doing so, I believe that we'll grow in the depth of our walk with Christ. We'll grow, we'll have a deeper understanding and this deeper understanding will give our faith a more firm foundation. There's going to be times when the experiences will just not be enough. There's going to be times, and, and when we when we don't sense God's presence, when we don't feel that we're hearing from God, when we can't see Him at work in our lives, these are the times when we must stand firm on an understanding of who God truly is and how He works. And this understanding must be firmly rooted in biblical truth. It must be rooted in biblical truth. We must know God's Word. We must know about him so that we can get to know him, so that we can stand firm in him. No matter what our experience tells us, our faith can be secure in, in our relationship with God as we understand his character, his nature. And so let's be students of the word and let's be students of theology who seek to study out the science of God. Well, as we close our time together, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. And this week we're praying for the country of Guatemala. And, and so I invite you to, to join together with me as we pray both uh, our authority for the, the government of, of Guatemala and the things that are happening there for the children of Guatemala. And then and then also for our strategic partners there who are who are doing the work. So we join with me in prayer. And, and as we pray, let's let's pray for uh, Guatemala. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we love you and we thank you, God, that you cannot be figured out. We thank you that you are far above our understanding and our comprehension, but we also thank you for giving us your word uh, that does reveal truth to us and does show us things about your character and nature. And God, may we truly be students of your word. May we dig in and, and understand the things that you have for us and the things that you do want us to know. Lord, we thank you for the ministry of Lifeline and the different ways that we're able to, uh, Lord, just equip your people, your church, to be able to care well uh, for the vulnerable, Lord, and we know that that, that 
care comes through the power of the gospel and and the the ultimate thing that is needed is the sharing of the gospel and so we pray for the country of Guatemala today God we pray that um that this this country that that is somewhat religious but it's but it's not a religion that's based on truth and they're not Christ centered and and this culture that that is there and so we pray God that you would uh, raise up your people Lord to preach and proclaim the gospel we pray that uh the government the officials there would be open to uh your church doing more to to serve vulnerable children and vulnerable families and and we pray God that the, the government there would see that that international adoption is a viable uh solution is just part of the the solution to uh for for children who long to who need to be in a family in the care of a family God we do lift up those children in Guatemala Lord we pray for uh many kids there that are being raised in orphanages and and uh, they're growing up without a family we pray for uh caretakers that are there in those orphanages trying to their best to care for those those children we pray that that you would meet the needs of, of these kiddos that you would um, bring about more believers more Christians who are willing to step into mentor relationships and and walk alongside some of these kids that are being raised in institutions and in in orphanages we pray for uh, missional families that would step up to serve these kids through both foster care and adoption and then we thank you for our partners that are there we pray specifically for La Reforma Church that um, Lord that is just really has a heart for vulnerable children and orphans and and Lord they're in so many just so many ways that they are uh, stepping in the people of that church Lord are caring through mentorships and through opening up their homes and opening up their hearts and so uh, we pray God that you just would continue to give wisdom and blessing there we thank you for the relationship that the Reforma Church through their ministry of Somos uh, their orphan care ministry God they're able to uh, to minister to children but they're also Lord being able to minister to the state and these new opportunities that have come for them to be able to train state workers and for them to be able to to show that the church is here to help and the church can uh lord can provide care and support for uh these vulnerable children and so we pray god that you just would continue to uh use your people in ways that are even greater than we can understand uh, ultimately god for the the well-being of uh children vulnerable children and vulnerable families and orphan children there in guatemala uh lord we again just thank you for the privilege of being a part of this ministry uh, we pray that you would continue to bless it in ways that uh, would bring forth your praise and your glory and would promote the uh, the goodness of the gospel that would continue to to build your kingdom, draw people to yourself. We love you, Lord. We thank you. Thank you for all those who are part of this Bible study together with us, God. We pray your blessings on them as well. For it's in the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.